Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up first, noted Christian apologist and teacher Ray Comfort of Living Waters challenges Christians to boldly share Jesus with those who do not know him. Also, there's material from another Sanctity of Human Life Month conversation with Camille Cates, sharing about her experience of having had an abortion and receiving the grace and forgiveness of the Lord. She is now involved in ministering to women who have had abortions. And on this edition of The Intersection, Tim Remington is a pastor in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, who was shot six times back in 2016. Even though his life was threatened, he saw God's hand at work then and continues to see how the Lord has worked through his story, which has been chronicled by Amy Joy Hess. Both of them join me on The Meeting House. Find out more from them ahead. Finally, the state of fatherhood in America is dire, and there are struggles in the church as well. That's the perspective of John Smith Baker of the ministry Fathers in the Field, who challenges Christian men to step up and follow Christ and to address unforgiveness toward their earthly fathers that is keeping them from being whom God desires for them to be. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Ray Comfort is the founder and CEO of the Ministry of Living Waters and is devoted to sharing not only what God has done in his life, but challenging Christians to be dedicated in sharing about the Lord. He has written a book called Why Jesus? Answering Life's Most Important Question, which reinforces what Jesus has done for us and provides some helpful direction on being a more effective witness. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Ray Comfort. Well, often I say to people, you're a doctor and uh, you've got before you a man who looks tremendously healthy. He goes to the gym every day. He's got a great physique. face looks nice and shiny. He looks healthy, but you know different. You know he's got a terrible disease. It's going to kill him in two weeks. You've seen the x-rays. You've got a cure in your pocket that you want to give him. Should you give him the cure or show him the x-rays? And some people quickly say, oh, you give him the cure. He's diseased. I say, that's not going to work because he thinks he's healthy. He's going to say, what are you giving me a cure for a disease I haven't got? Get that out of my face. He's going to be offended. No, if you're a good doctor, you're showing the x-rays. You'll say, look at this. This is, this is poison seeping through your system. You're going to be dead in two weeks. You make him tremble. You bring sweat to his brow to a point where he will say, oh, Doc, this is deadly serious. What should I do? Now he's ready for the cure. And what we've done for the last 100 years in the U.S. particularly is that we've held up the cure. We've just preached the gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Preacher, John 3.16, that's all you need to know. No, no, sinners don't understand. They don't need a cure. They're good people as far as mm. they're concerned. They're morally healthy. We need to do what Jesus did and show him the x-rays. What Nathan did with David, show him the x-rays. What Paul did in Romans 2, you say you shall not steal, do you steal? You say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? What's he doing? He's holding up the x-rays, what God sees. And that's what brought me to Christ 52 years ago. I remember reading, uh, I was on a surfing trip, non-Christian, reading uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. I thought, well, there's a heaven, I'm going to make it because I've never committed adultery. And then I read the words of Jesus, the x-ray. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. 
and it was like an arrow hit my chest. Suddenly I saw the x-rays and saw my plight before God, worthy of damnation if God had seen my thought life. And that's what brought me to the cross. That's when I wanted the cure. That's when I said, what must I do? And the gospel made sense. How do you see that this book can really equip Christians to be able to more effectively share their faith? Well, you push some soldier into the heat of modern warfare armed with a feather duster, he's not going to be very courageous. But you issue him with state-of-the-art weapons, and it's going to make him courageous. Those weapons will give him courage. And what I've done is just grab from Scripture the weapon of the will to live and the weapon of the conscience, and it will embolden you. Think of a, think of a, uh, a waitress in a, in a restaurant who looks up and sees three businessmen come in, and they've got little cases, little black cases and dark suits, and they sit at a table, obviously wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. Is she intimidated? Does she say, oh, I don't want to butt in? No, she walks right up. In the middle of their conversation, she says, can I take your order? Why is she so bold? It's because she knows she has what they want. They're there for food. And you and I have what this world wants. They think we're religious. Ugh. But we've got everlasting life in Christ. And if they knew what we had, they'd ask us. And so we've got to be bold. That's what Jesus said to the woman at the well. If you knew who it is that's speaking to you, you'd ask him, and he'd give you living water. And so we've got to be bold. The, the Bible used the analogy of firefighters. You know, a firefighter arrives at a, a, a fire. He doesn't run off because it looks too scary. He's a firefighter. He's committed. He doesn't listen to his fears. He has to climb a ladder and grab some lady from a windowsill with the kids. He's terrified. He'd rather be at home with his wife. But he ignores his fears because he's a firefighter. And you and I have got to think of the fate of the ungodly and not ourselves. In fact, the scriptures use that exact analogy. In the book of Jude, chapter, verse 23, others having compassion, saved with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And so as Christians, we've got to take advantage of every day and say, God, please let compassion swallow my fears. Let me be bold and let me speak the truth in love. Ray Comfort here on this edition of The Intersection. You can connect online at livingwaters.com. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's biblical counselor Camille Cates, author of the book entitled Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. In our recent Meeting House conversation, she shared about her own personal history with abortion and provided words of encouragement from a biblical perspective for women who have had abortions. Here now from that conversation is Camille Cates. I think a lot of times when you look at other resources that are out there on the topic of abortion, especially with a Christian focus, um, they all seem to jump right to God forgives you. And that's true. And it's good that we understand that. But there are a lot of things um, leading up to that. Some women don't even believe that they what they did was wrong. So if we're jumping straight to God forgives you without really hearing their backstory and working through some of the emotions that are deeply entrenched in their hearts, then we're doing them a disservice because we're not helping them to really see why the gospel shines and why it's so good and glorious. So, you know, we work through a lot of emotional things like anger. I was really angry with my parents afterwards because of the pressure. You know, I, I made that decision. I'm the one who um, went to the clinic. You know, they weren't dragging me. 
uh, but at the same time, they had a part to play. And so there are other, there are a lot of other players oftentimes in the issue of abortion and, you know, women can be angry, righteously so, um, over, over that pressure, over um, other things that have led up to it. So if you're not dealing with the anger, a lot of times you can't even get um, to the root of some of the other things. And depression is one, anxiety, um, guilt, and grief. Those two emotions especially run very deeply. A lot of women who have had an abortion um, don't believe that they, they can grieve over the loss of their baby. They think, you know, well, I did this. I don't have a right to grieve over my baby. And that's not true because God grieves over the loss of life of an image bearer of his. And so should we. And so it's just helping them work through some of those emotions according to scripture and taking those thoughts captive and really um, having, you know, allowing space for God to do that work of sanctification in their hearts through, through emotion. So that's one of the things we do talk about forgiveness. Um, a lot of women struggle with, I don't think I've ever sat down with a post-abortive woman, Bob, and not heard her say these words. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And it just kills me. I think I said that too in the beginning, but you know, nowhere in scripture are we commanded to forgive ourselves. We're commanded to receive Christ's forgiveness mm -hmm. for our sins. So a lot of times that can be a little bit of pride or a way to try and self-atone that is standing in the way and keeping us stuck in the past of our abortion instead of moving forward with the hope of Christ and his forgiveness for our sin. So when you you talk about these these different emotions that occur within the heart of an individual and perhaps there is some difficulty in receiving the forgiveness that Christ has to offer, what are maybe a, a couple of steps that a a woman can take with respect to really being able to receive that forgiveness? I think it, it's helpful to find somebody, uh, you know, the Lord has given us uh, people around us, Christians who care about us. And I think it's important to find um, somebody who's trustworthy that you can sit down and share and talk about um, wrestle through, you know, some of your struggles with receiving that forgiveness. Um, for me, it was really powerful to walk through scripture and to see Christ's journey to the cross and to walk through passages like uh, Isaiah 53 and what he went through, um, all that he bore so that we could be free. And um, I think when you get a good glimpse of Christ and the vastness of his sacrificial love for us, the, de the depth that he went through so that we could walk in freedom, um, that's a powerful picture of his love for us. And so um, I always say start with the cross hmm. and walk through the gospel and get a, get a fresh look like I did when, you know, um, my husband had, had told me about my abortion, that he loved me anyway. I needed that fresh glimpse, that good reminder of God's goodness, his un, uh, His faithful love um, for me, even in the midst of my unfaithfulness. So um, get a glimpse of the gospel, a fresh glimpse. Camille Cates here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, agrittygospellife.com. 
This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming menu at faithradio.org. At the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House program. There's also a link to the Media Center through the programming menu at faithradio.org. Also through meetinghouseonline.info, you'll find links to the Intersection Podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcast feed. Plus, you can watch video of Meeting House guests on the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There is a link provided from the Meeting House homepage. And there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org and access the Meeting House homepage that way. Plus, you can find conversations through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast at Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, Pandora, Spotify, and a variety of podcast platforms. I had the opportunity recently to talk with the senior pastor of the Altar Church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. His name is Tim Remington, the survivor of a shooting in 2016, an incident in which God has used in the pastor's life and through which the Lord has worked in the church and the community. Also in the conversation was Amy Joy Hess, who has written the book entitled Gunshot Witness, The Tim Remington Story. Here now from that recent Meeting House conversation are Tim Remington and Amy Joy Hess. Well, my question was, okay, if if Satan has targeted this pastor to be destroyed, what's the reason? There's got to be a reason. And so I started investigating the people in his church and finding out what his church was like. And um, talk about John Padula was one of the fellows that they, that Kyle was also instructed to shoot. Um, John, John is fantastic. I love John to death. He was a meth addict for the majority of his young years. He was a violent kid, got kicked out of school repeatedly because he wouldn't stop fighting. Um, he finally got into the drug rehabilitation program here at the altar and uh, he didn't even stay, but somebody prayed for him. God just did an absolute transformation in John Padula. Church secretary, Adela, she also grew up on meth. Um, and she was just, the hor- you know, all sorts of horrible different things went through her life. The day she met Tim, she just had a knockdown drag out with her brother because she was coming down off of drugs and she didn't have money to buy more. And Tim, you know, took her in and got her into the drug rehabilitation program. And Adela today is the most beautiful lovely, sparkly person, you know, and I just adore her. And so what you see here is that this, this church is not just a nice place where people drink coffee. Uh, They're getting out into the world, getting out to where people are hurting. And the story is one of hope because it says, Hey, no matter where you're at or where your family members at, God really is working today. He really is doing things through people and he can absolutely transform people through Jesus Christ. And that's the story, you know. Tim got shot um, for a reason, you know. 
and the bigger story is that God really is active in our world today. What the enemy would intend for evil, God is continuing to use that for good. So tell me from a spiritual standpoint, what do you see with respect to the the incident, the, the shooting, close to losing your life? Tell me about what you've seen God do and what he has really ministered to you through all of this. Well, while I was uh, down, Bob, people were receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I just, I, I was trying to figure that out. Uh, but it was just a God thing. Um, people hearing the story of forgiveness and how the Lord miraculously not only saved my life, but uh, he gave me this incredible love for for Kyle Odom. And in that, people were receiving that story and they were uh, having meetings in their churches on forgiveness. And my story kept coming up and people were receiving Christ. I never had to preach. I never had to do anything. It was just the move of God. And while I've been down, the Lord has, he's, he's dealt with me through the suffering part of it. Um, you know, where I, I really understand now where Paul said, you know, this really isn't me. This is Christ that lives within me, not just in the forgiveness but in the day-to-day -day process of just life, uh, how to you know, focus on the things that are important and try to get your focus off the things that are temporal, off the things that are maybe painful, making it hard to, to go forward. But when you do press forward, you find miracle after miracle after miracle. We've had 4,000 people go through our, our rehab here now as of, as of uh, last week. And uh, and everywhere I go in this community, it's people that have graduated uh, the rehabilitation. They run up and hug you, and so it really is a family all over Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and and close to Spokane, Washington, also. So uh, God has used this particular testimony uh, for a couple different things. One is the testimony of how God can save me. God can stop bullets. He can direct them around all of your organs with 110 pieces of shrapnel in me, and uh, and none of them went through my heart or my lungs. Uh, one went through my colon, but other than that. Um, and the other one is just God's touch on lives to forgive. We had 700 people show up for the prayer vigil the night that I was shot, and my brother was the first one to stand up and tell everybody that that uh, we need to forgive Kyle, and uh, and they did. So it stopped all of the anger, the hate, the bitterness in our town. Amy Joy Hess and Tim Remington here on this edition of The Intersection. You can learn more about the book at gunshotwitness.com. The website for the Altar Church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is altarcda.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast with comments from the founder of the ministry, Fathers in the Field. His name is John Smith Baker. In our recent Meeting House conversation, he discussed the state of fatherhood and highlighted the subject of Christian men forgiving their fathers, a topic he covers in the book entitled Man Enough to Forgive, Healing the Wounds of Fatherhood Abandonment. Here now from that conversation is John Smith Baker. Well, for my entire life, and I know this to be true, fatherless boys view that the abandonment, the, the leaving, the departure, the break in the marriage cup, 
as the unforgivable sin. So, and they suppress this sin deep down inside this of unforgiveness. They don't view it as a sin, but they say to themselves every day, I'm never ever going to forgive my father for doing that. And what we have to mm. do is, as believers, I mean, this book, Man Enough to Forgive, is written to believers. Forgiveness is a command. We have to forgive those who sinned against us. And your father abandoning his post as being the pastor, provider, and protector is a sin. Make no mistake about it. But it's a forgivable sin. We all need forgiveness. So we confront this issue because when you're a believer and you have unrepented sin in your life, you're taken off, you're taken off the kingdom battlefield. You're basically a useless Christian in the corner because you're on injured reserve, because you have a broken fellowship with the Heavenly Father because of your refusal or your denial that you need to forgive your earthly father for forgiving you. There's always a consequence for God's perfect plan. Men try to avoid this. They say, I'm okay now. He did the best he could. I'm fine. I use it as motivation to, to achieve great things. Those are all just lives from the pit of hell. The question is, the biblical question is, have you forgiven, truly forgiven, your earthly father for abandoning his fatherhood roles? That's the question. It's the yes or no question. And if you try to put any qualifiers on it, then it just means you have not forgiven him. Because when you've forgiven somebody, it's apparent. Because that forgiveness comes from the Holy Spirit to making us obedient to God's word. So that's the key. And then I can always tell if they have, if they want to wrestle a little bit. And there's a couple different ways. That's why we suggest, strongly encourage, say, if you truly have, you will actually write a forgiveness letter to your earthly father. I don't care if he's dead, alive, it doesn't matter. Because you make this a public proclamation that you have forgiven him. The second thing you'll do is you'll start praying for his salvation. We are called to pray for our enemies. And the other thing that we have to know as believers, because even in the church, the church does a very poor job, in my opinion, of differentiating between reconciliation and forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Those are two different concepts. Reconciliation actually requires a whole other book. But <laughs> forgiveness is an act of obedience to our King who has forgiven you so much. So when you have people, and, and I like the analogy you drew, you said that you've got men that are carrying around unforgiveness toward their fathers. Yes. And they are on injured reserve, essentially. Right. They're not who they can be in Christ. So how does one, and, and you have those obviously whose fathers are still alive. You have others whose fathers have, have passed on from this earth. Yeah. And yeah. I would imagine would, I would imagine the approach would be different, but how would one get started? Yeah, no. it really is no difference. Okay. Um, because forgiveness is with you and your heavenly father. You're, you're dealing with your fellowship relationship, your spiritual relationship with your heavenly father. So if your father's passed, you still need pass. You still need to forgive him. It doesn't mean yeah. you can still harbor unforgiveness. So the past is the same. The fundamental issue for believers, again, if you're unbeliever, we pray God forgives you and you'll have this ability to forgive the unforgivable. But for believers, it all starts with understanding 
that we're called to forgive the grossest things on this earth, we're called to forgive. It doesn't make them right. It doesn't mean you have to have a relationship. It doesn't mean anything other than forgiveness. We are called to forgive. How can we not forgive when Christ has forgiven us so much? If you think somebody else is not deserving of forgiveness, you have not read the Bible. You do not know God's words and God's truth. You need to forgive. Unforgiveness is a sin. And it breaks fellowship. So the first place you have to start is, yes, every believer is to forgive. Again, doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with them. Doesn't make it right. Okay? So that's the first step. John Smith Baker here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the ministry at fathersinthefield.com. The book website is manenoughtoforgive.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or you can click on the Meeting House link through the programming menu at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to the Intersection podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple podcast feed. And you can find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel where you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming menu at faithradio.org. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.